Hello and welcome to this episode of Better Off Red. My name is Pip Adam and this is episode 89. Um, so uh, this is the third in our Elements series which we're running throughout the year and um, having a slightly different focus for the year where we're focusing on elements of craft and we are sort of um, almost halfway through the place season so this is the season where we talk about place and what it is to write it and different writers approaches to writing the worlds that they set their stories in. So in this episode I talked to Rose Liu um, I'm a huge fan of um, fan of roses, um, and I'm very grateful for the time that she took to talk to me, and also um, the time that she's taken thinking and writing about place. And um, yeah, her book is All Who Live on Islands, which you can get um, from VUP or bookshops. Um, and there's recently been an adaptation done of Rose's book on Radio New Zealand, and we talk a little bit about that. If you Google Radio New Zealand and All Who Live on Islands, you'll um, get sent to a link and be able to listen to that. It's a really great companion to the book. Um, yeah, and, and it's really lovely to listen to it by itself as well. Um, Rose has done an amazing job. Um, through At the end of the podcast, Rose talks a little bit about a workshop that she's preparing. Um, that is a workshop for the Carpety Writers Retreat, which is run by Writers Practice. Um, I've got a link to that on the webpage as well. Um, yeah, I think there are still places available. Um, it's the 9th of February 2021, in case you're listening to this in the future, when there will probably not be places available. Probably by 2025 it will be finished. Um, and just one last thing that I wanted to touch on in our conversation, I yet again talk about an artist um, whose name, you know, eludes me in the moment. Um, the artist that I'm talking about is the amazing Julian Oliver. Um, he has done a lot of interesting work on um, invisible structures and in cities. So looking at radio waves um, and um, yeah, just sort of radio spectrum in the city and um, I've put a link to a lecture that he gave in 2017 about that topic and it um, ties in with some of the things Rose and I talk about concerning um, yeah like the concept of the cloud and stuff like that. Um, I also want to thank Copyright Licensing New Zealand um, for partially funding the Element series. Um, their money has made it possible for me to pay people who come on the podcast and I'm very grateful for that. Um, we recorded this episode at Toi um, Pōniki um, and again very grateful to them and the work they do and the big part they are of um, our community, our local community. So thank you very much for letting us rent a space there most appreciated so yeah um thank you for listening to this conversation um at the end of the conversation i have got an idea for a writing response towards it so you might want to stick around for that um but yeah thanks heaps for listening hello pip (laughs) thank you so much for coming i really appreciate it Oh, no worries. It was really nice to be asked. So thank you. Yeah, Awesome. Thank mm. you so much. Um, so the first thing that I do um, when we do these um, podcasts is I ask if you'd be willing to introduce yourself, um, however you would like to introduce yourself. So yeah. Cool. Um, I'm Rose. Um, I live in Wellington. Um, I've lived here since 2014. Um, and I started writing 
in 2018 um, <laughs> when I went and I did my master's in creative writing at the International Institute of Modern Letters. Um, and before that, I was working as a software developer, which I still do now. Um, and yeah, I think more people should just randomly choose to do writing in their life. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's a good advertisement. Yeah. <laughs> so you can do it at any time. It's all good. Yeah. Oh, man, I'm so glad. that um, I didn't realise that that's when you started writing. Oh, my gosh. Yeah, I think I was... I think that was one of the most daunting things about applying for the IML was that I had never written anything. I'd never been published. Um, and then the application is like please submit a 10 to 20 page portfolio. And I was like, well, if I had done any undergraduate creative writing, I might have something to, to like hand in here, but I had to like create all that stuff like um, off my own bat. And also to have never had any like real feedback on writing. Yeah. So yeah, yeah. The, it was daunting, but I mean like, yeah, I think it's fine and people should just give it a go. I like that idea of giving it a go. I'm, I'm into that. I'm really into that. Um, today, um, you've sort of brought the idea of an object which I really like. Um, we've decided to talk about a cleaver. And I don't know if we're going to talk about one specific cleaver. Or, um, yeah, do you want to talk about how you envisage that object? Yeah. Um, so I like cooking. Um, and I think... For me, the cleaver is really interesting because um, often when we talk about like setting in place, I kind of get the sense that I imagine something really different to like a Pākehā person would and because like I think with literature in English, it's really easy for the setting to like by default be through that lens and I think just the most sort of immediate image I can think of is that if you think about a Chinese kitchen there will be a cleaver and that will be the knife and that is so different from if you're talking about a western kitchen but like yeah it's just people don't really disambiguate with that sometimes and for me it's just this like very easy symbolic of thing of we are talking about two different things yeah and like I think one of the things that I love about this and we had a bit of an email back and forth is the idea that this is a way into setting which is now you can stop me if I say anything stupid but it's sort of a way into setting that's people sized rather than huge vistas you know or a huge map mm. and do you want to talk a little bit about that you know like I think we talked a little bit about your relationship to description you know as a thing yeah yeah, yeah I think I've um yeah, as I was saying in my email, I've never really liked description. And as a reader, I'm always like, oh, this is a slog. <laughs> like, why am I reading this? I don't actually want to know about this. Um, but yeah, I think for me, um, yeah, setting's much more about like what's in the space um, and how is the makeup of that space different rather than actually like going into detail and like describing everything. And, like, maybe that's a difference between, um, I, I guess if, like, if I say cleaver, I'm like, oh, I, maybe people don't know what that is. Yeah, and so maybe there's a different need to sort of, um, when someone knows an object really closely, maybe people feel like they need to describe it more to so, then other, so the reader will know that it's significant in some way, whereas I feel like maybe if the object is foreign to them, it's like already got some significance I don't know 
I yeah. don't know. <laughs> <laughs> and I think, you know, so much of writing's a bit like that, eh? Like, mm. we're kind of, um, yeah, like this idea of wanting to be clear, but also not wanting to be too clear. But yeah, I think it's a really interesting sort of moment. Um, in your book, All Who Live on Islands, which is just the most magnificent book, thank you so much for writing such a great book, um, there is, a, um, the cleaver appears quite prominently in one of the essays, and it led me to think about this idea of recreating real places. Well, I mean, I'm doing that in inverted commas, but, mm. you know, like, there's a relationship in your essays to places that actually exist. And I'm wondering, um, yeah, really basically this is a huge open question about if you've got any thoughts about that process of recreating places that you've lived or places that you've travelled. Mm. Yeah, I think um, it's hard because, like, it's e it's obviously easy for me to remember what that is like. Um, and then it's more about deciding how much of that needs to sort of go in to give the reader enough context. And because it's like for a New Zealand audience, I'm just like, oh, if I say X, people probably know what this is without having to be like, ah, yes, <laughs> the state house generally looks like this sort yeah. of thing. Yeah, I think there's like a lot of nice like sort of like, because the cultural context is already so familiar, I, I think you yeah, that's always a good way to gauge like how much description you sort of need to do. And I personally feel like my work is quite minimal in terms of place. Um, and yeah, I'm just trying to think about why now. And I think maybe it is what I was saying before about like I've never really um, been a big fan of description and I think that, like, especially, um, like, describing, like, sort of, like, Chinese things, it feels like there's sometimes, like, an othering or, like, ex exoticization of it. And I, I guess, like, I don't know. I guess it would be different because I would be writing it rather than having someone else. Um, but, yeah, I think maybe there is like a sort of um, allergy that I feel towards that type of description because I've only ever really seen it in kind of like kind of like very like white lens travel writing and stuff like that and that's not really what I wanted to to show um, and so I think most of my place settings when it comes to like culture just are actually like pretty much all centered around the home um and that's just like a, that's a very like small portrait compared to like ah the cast mountains of young shore and stuff like that <laughs> yeah mm. and I mean that's the thing that I think is so amazing about it is that um you have this really incredible knack of choosing exactly the right detail if you know not the mm. right as in you know there's a correct and an incorrect but um incorrect oh my goodness <laughs> incorrect um but I think what's great about it is that when we're in the you know those very intimate places mm. there'll be one thing chosen and it's like oh yeah and another thing that I think is interesting is that the essays have a cumulative effect you know you don't have to sort of explain the entire house in the first essay because mm. did you think of the essays as a complete unit when you were writing them or um 
I think not like on purpose, but I think that I did sort of um, keep coming back to, especially like the home, just because um, I think this is partly to do with the my parents' lifestyle at the time because they worked and lived at the dairy. Um, all of our interactions were based in the home and because my grandparents, they don't have much language um, and then they're just like not that mobile by themselves a lot of their life was sort of based around the home as well so it just became this sort of like natural setting because everyone just not you know had to spend a lot of time there and like not always by choice I guess like you know like I I think my parents do go out a lot more now now that they don't have a dairy Mm. um but yeah because of that circumstance it just very naturally um happened that a lot of the settings were around the dairy and the house yeah and um when the stories do go outside the house, they, they, mm. they travel quite a distance sometimes, don't they? And do you feel like um, it's really hard to ask people because when we're writing, we're kind of intuitively going. But I guess when you were revising, did you notice any kind of different relationship to the settings that were not, you know, you, that you didn't live and breathe and move in and the settings that perhaps you were visiting or, you mm. know, like living less permanently in yeah I think again maybe it's like an issue of that like lens thing of like yeah because I have that essay where I'm in Nepal Mm, and I think mm. that is one of the more descriptive pieces um and simply because it's like it's not set in the everyday anymore like I'm kind of in these like mountain ranges and the colors were so like intensely different to what I was um used to and I remember um when I was writing that essay I like looked back through a bunch of photographs that I had taken during that time to sort of be like, what was the exact colour of that? Because <laughs> you sort of remember, but you kind of don't at the same time. Um, and so I definitely put a lot of um, a lot more time into like thinking about that setting and how to describe it. Whereas I think inside the house, like everything I assumed someone would already know, like even the like the fact that the dairy was like a combo dairy and fish and chip shop, like, I think most New Zealanders would understand the layout of that and like know what that was like. So I didn't really put that much time into being like, and then the lolly counter looks like this. Cause everyone sort of, yeah. I mean, I assume that everyone already had that image in mm. their minds. Yeah. yeah. I was reading this interesting um, thing yesterday about um, writing in worlds that aren't um, now the person had an idea, sort of this idea that they're not in received reality. So, you know, like fantasy worlds and stuff like that. And Mm. it was talking about internal logic. And like when I was reading the book, I was thinking there's not much that I imagine needs to be changed for an overseas audience, if you know what I mean. Mm. Like I I think that's what's so interesting is that that interesting thing that when we go really local or when we go really into our own experience – there's an ability to get into it if you know what I mean Mm. which I think is really I don't know it might be interesting I don't know um when you talked about the cleaver I think in the email you were talking about how that possible did that come from an exercise did you say yeah Yeah, yeah so um at the first six weeks of um my master's in creative writing we were given a writing exercise every week um and I think the week three or week four exercise was just yeah like describe an object um and describe it really closely um and yeah I just thought of the cleaver and I spent um I the I used the cleaver for that exercise and I think the first 
like maybe third of that essay is like directly from that writing awesome. exercise and it kind of just spiraled on from there as because it started with me describing that object um, and then once that essay was over I kept thinking of the ways that it had cropped up in my life um, and yeah especially like the, the story um, one of the p- uh, pieces not in the um, Cleaver essay, actually, um, but in the first essay about my grandparents is um, my grandma has, like, a crooked finger and it's because when she was small, she, like, cut it off with a cleaver when she was trying to chop some <laughs> sugar cane. So it's, like, this object that's, like, really seared into my memory is, like, very capable of destruction. <laughs> <laughs> and, like, yeah, I guess when you move overseas, there's so much about like culture that can sort of be lost but it feels like the cleaver's been like this sort of thing that's um been really relevant to everyone in the family yeah yeah, yeah. and so um we recently moved into a new house and as like a housewoman gift my parents got us a set of knives so now we have two cleavers <laughs> and there's this like really yeah they got us this really awesome set of Chinese knives with like a really hefty cleaver as well and it's just like oh yeah we're always going to have that, yeah. <laughs> I just, I really, um, I yeah, I, I, I guess I wanted to ask, and you don't have to answer this because I feel like you're asked it all the time, but I'm interested in that way that food relates to place and writing, especially, like, I was just, um, you know, I was thinking about, I, I know when my grandma moved here and there weren't the same, you know, there were different things that she had to do to make the food work. Mm. And I was thinking about when we, when I travelled with my parents as a kid, I remember that chicken would taste different in different places. Yes. Yeah. And I just wonder, yeah, any thoughts on that? Yeah, definitely. Um, the chicken one is really interesting because I always think about how chicken tastes really different in different places. Um, and especially, um, so something that I cook quite a lot is um, you can like poach a whole chicken mm-hmm. um, and the, the you know, like you kind of like put in the pot and you boil it for like 20 minutes and you let it simmer in the pot for ages and it's kind of like the start of like a Hainanese chicken rice. Yeah. Um, and every single time I have I've just like never been able to take the chicken out of the pot without some part of the skin tearing and then I realized that like we just kill chickens at a really young age in New Zealand like I think they're like 12 weeks or something and then when I went back to China I was just like oh like the chicken here is completely different like they are like a smaller size they're a bit stringier um and the the skin is like physically a lot thicker and like yellower and I was just like oh maybe it's not that I suck at taking the chicken out of the pot (laughs) but like maybe this recipe is for a different type of chicken where it's like more possible to do that without ripping it but yeah it's really interesting like the um the vegetables that you can't access here that if that are really common in Chinese food or like I remember like persimmons arriving in New Zealand like I you know like we just didn't have them for ages and then I think I was like eight or nine or something and with my parents in the supermarket and suddenly there were persimmons they were just like oh my god we haven't had this for several years so there's just all these like little events where I'm just like oh like this thing is in New Zealand now and this thing is in New Zealand now and like still like when I go to like even Australia like the mushrooms that you can buy there is like a much bigger range of um, Asian mushrooms than you can get in New Zealand. So it's, yeah. Because, yeah, I know even, like, when we went to, um, like, we were in um, Nevada or somewhere, Mm. and, like, the limes were cheap, and there was cactus leaves. Yeah, and, like, all these things that were kind of um, mythical in my upbringing, and Mm. they're just there, sitting Mm. there. And 
And I think that, um, again, this comes back to your absolute genius in using these smaller objects to describe place, you know, mm. because I think that... Um, and, and yeah, I, I one of the things I really loved about your email is I also have a lot of trouble with description. Like <laughs> I have, you know, I have immense trouble with it. And we both mentioned a book that I have had a lot of trouble. I think, it, I'm, do you mind if I mention it? No. Oh, yeah, we were both talking about Lord of the Rings. Yes. And I was thinking, like, just pages and pages of the geography. And then when I read something like your book, um, or recently I just read, again, um, a, a book about, like, 17th century um, England when it comes through on that body level like the smells mm. the sounds the there's something so um yeah I don't know it seems to work I don't know. yeah I think that it's like I think something that I struggle with with especially like Lord of the Rings style description I've still not read Lord of Me the neither. Rings yeah <laughs> Um, <laughs> Even though it built, it bought my house, the movies bought my house. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh well, yeah, um, yeah. Like I think that style of description, it's just like so abstract. Like I don't have, there's like nothing about it for me to like tether to. Whereas, yeah, the sort of like very like visceral, like close things of like, oh, how does it feel to be doing this? How does it feel to be like smelling this or interacting with this? Yeah, they feel a lot more like immediate and tangible and maybe like accessible in the same way that Mm. you're saying that like, yeah, I guess there's lots of things about the human experience that are the same once you approach them really closely, yeah, rather than much further away. Like everyone has to eat every day, you know, like it's can't be that different like yeah I just so love what you just said then it kind of blew my mind but that idea of closeness you know I do wonder if that's it like I wonder if you've like hit on something really important one of the things as well I was thinking about with your book is that often it's using memory um yeah I don't know how do you feel about that relationship between um, you know, writing an essay and sort of mm. the research that you do where you, your own experience is the archive kind of in a way. I don't know. Yeah, I think this was quite like a um, contentious sort of point in my MA year and a thing that a lot of us were grappling with, which was kind of um, how do you tell the truth in an essay when memory is so fallible? Mm-hmm. Um And, like, little things like, um, I think one of my classmates, Maddie, she wrote an essay, um, and near the end of the essay, like, there were two things that happened. I think it was, like, one was that she went skydiving, and one was that she got a new job, and she had, um, I think she had, like, listed them in the wrong order or something, and then she had given the essay to, like, someone to read, and they were like, oh, I remember this happening, like those two things are in the wrong order. And she was just like, oh, like, you know, like you can't actually accurately remember stuff like that yourself sometimes. Um, But also there's stuff like that where I'm just like, okay, like it doesn't really have any bearing on the story that these two events were in the wrong order. Like it's not like you're being, it's, you know, it's not, I guess it is on the record, but it's not really on the record in the same way as like, I don't know, something else could be. So it's, yeah, I think... For me personally, I gave myself some leeway around I know I will probably get the specifics wrong, but as long as kind of the sort of like like emotional truth of that carries through, then I think it's okay. Because yeah. this, is, this is why I think essay is my most favorite and exciting. You know what I mean? Like that, that 
relationship that it has with events in the world outside of the story is mm. so interesting to me. Like, um, and that's why I wanted to talk to you so much about place because you know, like, um, some of the places that you're talking about can probably still be revisited, and mm. you know, like, you probably still visit some of the places that you've written about. And I just think it's such an interesting, and like the way that we how we give ourselves space to write it, I think is really interesting. Yeah. Yeah. And I think there was, um, for me, part of like um, wanting to write about some of the places was, um, especially in China, like China is a place that just changes so much. Um, And there was a part of me that was like, if I don't write this down, there will be nothing to physically return to. Um, yeah, um, because it just changes so much, and especially the um, town that my grandparents grew up in is like very rapidly mm. gentrifying, um, and so like they've, they, you know, the house that they lived in before they came to New Zealand is gone, um, and I, I'm like, I'm, I'm sure that a lot the place will continue to change over the next couple of years. So it's sort of, yeah, I think it was important for me to sort of have some memory of what that was like yeah. yeah and I think it's so interesting thinking of the essay sorry this is where my brain's going this is you haven't suggested this um but like this idea when you were talking about the photos of Nepal and mm. like that interesting thing where sometimes we look at photographic evidence as closer to the truth but the mm. thing is that even that has been framed in a particular way mm. taken on a certain day mm. taken from a certain height you know mm. all those sorts of things and I think that the essay is such a beautiful way to capture some of those things, like because um, it sort of captures. It's almost like an emotional pho- photo- photograph. Yeah, I yeah, I actually do feel like visual cl- like cues can kind of be misleading sometimes. Like especially when you think about nature, like nature looks so different on every single day. Um, so it's kind of impossible to be like, what color is this mountain range? Like it's yeah, it doesn't feel like a very useful es- exercise. But I think what is constant is kind of like your experience of being in that place, and like yeah, maybe that's something that's a bit more um, permanent. Even though sometimes it won't be as well Mm. like you could go back to the same place and just be like oh my god (laughs) the (laughs) setting is exactly the same but I have changed and that's also like a really interesting measurement as well yeah yeah I was thinking that the other I was up in Taranaki and I was Mm. trying to take a photo of the mountain and I was just like even that thing of how my eye sees it is different and you know the memory is often of my eye yeah I just all that stuff just endlessly interests me Mm. um I was just thinking, um, I, you, you don't have to answer this if it's a boring question, but I was thinking about your work as a programmer mm. and I was thinking about virtual space and the work that you do to, you know, it's very easy to sort of think in terms of physical space when we're thinking about electronic, you know, um, mm. th- things. And I just wonder, you know, how do you envisage that sort of, you know, the world that you're creating through your work? Yeah, I think um, what something that I find really fascinating is I think that, like, a pretty, like, technical term that's kind of entered everyday lexicon is the idea of cloud computing or, like, the cloud. Um, and I think, like, you know, like, lots of sort of, I think everyday people sort of have experiences with the cloud now. And, you know, like, you know that when you put a document in Google Docs, it is in 
<laughs> the cloud. And there's all this stuff where people talk about the cloud. Um, but as like a computer programmer, you understand that really differently because the cloud just means instead of like, so I work for a company called Bill Kite. Um, and so instead of Bill Kite physically owning and running our own computer service, we pay Amazon to host and run our computer service. And so like that is the cloud, like the cloud is this physical object. Um, and also like as a programmer, we have to interact with our servers quite a lot. Like we pull logs from it, we push data to it. Like there is, it's just such like a, to me, it's just like a tangible thing. Whereas like to most people, they're just like, oh, it's in the cloud. And like, it's great. Cause I think um, something that people need to do in software engineering is like, you need to sort of draw a line and you need to abstract a concept and you need to never think about it again. And I think um, depending on like your level of technical ability, you draw that line at a different place. And so like for like a, um, like a regular person who just uses a computer, you don't need to know what the cloud is. You just know that it's somewhere. Whereas for a programming, you kind of need to know what's happening <laughs> in the cloud. But again, the reason we pay Amazon to like host our infrastructure for this is because there is, some like underlying like network stuff that goes on that we we don't need to understand either. So it's just kind of, yeah, I find that interesting um, in terms of like, what do you not have to think about? Yeah, even though everything is like a physical bit of infrastructure, even in virtual space, like everything that is virtual, there is at some level, you might have to go like really far down, but at some level there will be a physical representation of that. So maybe I think about virtual space like quite differently in that way. Yeah. Oh my God, that's blown my mind. Um, <laughs> there's, this, there's this artist that's just returned to New Zealand from Berlin and mm. he spends a lot of time talking about this sort of stuff. Mm. And like he, there is an amazing, um, of course his name's gone, um, but mm there is this amazing talk where he talks about exactly this, the way that people think of it as this thing that will move and disappear and, and forget about some of the environmental impacts of, yes. you know, physical servers and forget. Yeah. yeah, and, like, because I know that recently I got to talk somewhere about my archives, which yeah. felt weird, but I was just thinking about how I get really nervous with how much space, you know what I mean? Like mm. I've got this cloud account and I just think about that space and I, I do think of it sort of sitting somewhere and yeah, I think it, I think that it's so interesting, eh? Like, mm. yeah, oh my God. And also it, it is also what you're saying, correct me if I'm wrong because I'm not this smart, but does that mean that everything eventually comes down to a mechanical, you know, like an, 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 a machine of some sort as well, possibly? Yeah, like there is, I feel like, yeah, every bit of data on the internet will be, like, physically recorded in some way, somewhere. Oh, my God. Like, there's always, like, a physical equivalent. Oh, my God. <laughs> oh, my God. Oh, my God. Sorry, I just said to go and have a quiet sit down and a cup of tea. Yeah. Um, one of the things that um, a lot of us are sort of doing um, in differing amounts at the moment is is working what we're calling virtually. So, you know, and we're um, interacting with people again who are not in the same room, but mm. we're sort of again thinking about this space. And do you, how do you feel about that? Like with your slightly different view, mm. um, you know, an engineer's view of it, what do you think, like, how do you find it? Like working remotely yeah, in general? Yeah. 
Um, it's definitely a different type of social interaction mm, and mm. actually having so I started um with Bill Kite last April so I've been remote full time for almost a year now and there's yeah there's definitely ways around like whoa like you can't um replicate um like a real life social interaction and the thing that I struggle with the most is like the side eye I'm really used to like <laughs> being in a group <laughs> Um, and you know who your friends are in the group. And when someone says something that's a bit weird or like you're like, oh, I'm interpreting this a bit negatively. I don't know if I should. And then you just like you side eye your friend. And if they side eye you back, you're like, OK, cool. My hunch is correct. I'm not being like a weirdo. But there is no side eye in a Zoom call. And I find it really hard because I didn't realize until that was removed how much I leaned on that to be like what's going on like it's yeah like I think the thing that I find hard about sort of like working remotely is that um there's kind of this like flattening of communication mm, where it's mm. like your word is your word because you've like written it down and it's a post rather rather than you know like if you're communicating with someone in real time there's all these other like little like gestures like facial things or just like hand things that sort of um to me like that I really lean on those things to like contextualize what someone's talking about but when you just collapse it down to a word it's quite different and I think for me as a writer I do obviously think a lot about how the written work can also encapsulate all of that context that you have about a you know like a real life interaction but like you know like everyone does that to varying degrees so there's always this like level of translation of like oh okay um they said this it might mean this but from what I know about them they might mean x and there's always this sort of yeah I just yeah. I just feel like and I so relate to everything you're saying like um and I am really interested in what the long lasting effects are going to be like I feel like um in a way it is um changing my concepts of space you know like I mm. um I I feel like I've I've been working remotely as well and I've just gone back to working in an office with people and like I was freaked out like I was like oh my gosh <laughs> you know like are you standing a little close and uh what 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 you know yeah, and yeah. I think that um it's so interesting how psychologically it's changed my thinking about space even mm. that idea of personal space you mm. know like um and yeah I've just found it amazing and that thing you're saying as well I really relate to that that idea of um I have become so much more comfortable in a messaging situation, mm. like on a Slack chat or a message board or something, than I ever am in a talking situation. Really? And, yeah. And oh. I was just thinking, whoa, what can I learn from that? Yeah, it was yeah. quite interesting. I was like, what can I learn from that? Maybe I just need to slow down and not blah, you know, Yeah, all the and time. I think that's what a lot of my colleagues um, really prefer about having, um, like, you know, like, async comms is that you do get to be more thoughtful and like I always say shit without thinking yeah, like yeah, constantly yeah. um like it's like I'm really chronic at it and my partner pulls me up on it all the time 
because like sometimes I'll say something and like after I've said it, I will literally have forgotten that I've said it yep. because it's just like a passing thought. And he was like, why did you say X? I was like, no, I didn't. <laughs> <laughs> did I say that or did I think it? Yeah, That's exactly. my constant, my yeah. constant thing. Yes. <laughs> sometimes I even say it out loud to people. I'm like, did I say that or did I just I think, think it? Yeah, oh. like I, <laughs> I just don't know sometimes. And so like I'm like, oh, when I'm forced to like slow down and actually type everything out and – you know, like I can't help but like read the thing mm. that I'm mm. typing before mm. I send it. Mm. Um, I'm like, oh, I'm like a more like considered and nuanced and like <laughs> thoughtful person when I'm like communicating online. <laughs> oh my God, I so relate. I so relate. And I really yeah. relate to that stuff you're talking about. Like I realise that my friends, because I have been doing quite a lot of quite sort of fractious volunteer stuff on, mm. you know, and we've had to do it on Zoom and, um, yeah, we've res- we've resorted, it's terrible, but we've resorted to texting each other, you mm. know what I mean? Like we're, and we just use emojis for mm. the equivalent and like, I, yeah, it, it feels different and it feels kind of more permanent in some ways, but yeah, I just, oh my gosh, yeah, it, it's interesting and I think that's something you said which I really loved in that email was the idea of the human's relationship with the space rather than this big you know like you know that's what you're interested in yeah um I did this really um interesting workshop um a couple of years ago with um this guy called Theodore Tapticlis who um I don't know if he's still running the program but um he was sort of like developing this pilot of this program, which was to sort of um, underst- to get people to understand what their superpower was in a group. Um, and so the um, program was kind of like um, you watch like a skit and he would act the skit out um, and uh, you would just write down all of the things that you noticed during the performance. Um, and then at the end, everyone read out their different noticings Um and it was actually just like mind blowing how different everyone's um, responses were, like in a way that I like never really expected. Like I remember when I did it, um, there was a person in the group that um, all of his noticings were around the language that the character was using, and then like all of my, you know, all of my noticings were quite like physical around like how he interacted with objects in space or like the little sort of like jitters and stuff. And it really showed to me like how actually like we all notice really, really, really different things. And I think that what you notice about a place like is often quite revealing about you and yourself. And mm. yeah, that's really stuck with me as like an exercise. Yeah, because I mean, th- that's what I find really interesting. Like some of my favorite things is when settings doing that double work of character and setting and um, plot. And I think that often I wonder if what we're building is not a replica of the world, but a replica of the person's world whose point of view we're in, mm. if you know what I mean? Like it, it's not, yeah, when, and I think that's where I've gone wrong is where I've tried to describe everything in a room like it's a documentary. Mm. Whereas I think starting to say to myself, oh, what would this person notice and what would this person not notice kind yeah. of thing. It would be, I would be really, I mean, I think this is one of the things that I really need to seek out as someone who really enjoys those big descriptions. Yeah. Because I was saying to someone the other day, I was getting frustrated with a book and I was like, ah, it just seems to be describing what the surface of this planet is like. And yeah. they were kind of like, yeah, that's the best part. Yeah. Well, I guess like, um, I don't know if this is accurate, but like, is there like a difference between um, description and world building? 
Yes, maybe. Yeah, yeah. Because yeah. I think like with sci-fi, especially like the world building is such a huge element of that. And like, but to me, that's always been more about the the mechanics of a place rather than the appearance of the place. And it's the stuff that it's when place is equated with appearance. That's when I struggle. Yeah. And maybe that's where you're struggling as well. Oh my God, you're so right. Like, because this was very much that sitting there, this is 500 metres from it, blah, 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 blah. And there was all this build up to get one little piece of action. And yeah. I was like, okay, you're trying to tell me it's windy. That's what you're trying to do. And yeah. yeah, I think that, I think that it was really interesting too, because I was talking to someone about it and they said, maybe there's a crossover with that very hard description stuff and maybe science readers or, you know, like re- readers of that kind of thing. And I thought... Yeah, I can imagine that. Like, if you're really interested in geography, you mm. might want to know where everything is. Mm. And maybe people are more visual. So if someone is like, oh, the apple is 500 metres from the banana, you can build a mental model, which I don't think I could. No. But also, like, this is another pet peeve of mine, is um sometimes you read a book and you feel like the author wrote it to be a movie, and that really annoys me, because I think that, you know, obviously a book and a movie are not the same, and I'm just like are you just angling for a Netflix adaptation? Like, cause this Everybody is what is it feels now. like. Like you can, you know, like sometimes you read a book and you can almost see the camera shots that they are sort of wanting to have. Mm. Yeah. And I think it's so interesting the way that the book, um, you know, this is again, what I love about all who live on islands is that, and, and some of other books that I really like is I think there has been this slippage of, book into visual um artifice whereas Mm. I think you know I was thinking about um I was actually thinking about um Samuel Beckett and um Murphy and like how you know that is so hard to visualize and then I read The Nose by Gogol yesterday and like it's very hard to visualize what's going on I realized but Mm. you have to kind of just go with it at an emotional level and it's kind of I don't know it's kind of interesting because I definitely think there is, I, I'm not a very good visual reader. Like mm. I um, was reading something the other day and I had to go back because I was like, are they inside? Oh my <laughs> goodness, totally missed that. Totally missed that they were still in the spaceship. It was, yeah. yeah, it was really weird. It was so weird. My gosh. Are you writing anything at the moment? Um, no, I'm not. I'm just doing some planning for that Kapiti Writers oh, Workshop. Yeah. Yes. Oh, that's going to be so cool. I can't wait. I think it'll be fun. Yeah. I'm, I think I've got like most of, I have, I think I have the idea. I just need to like write it down and put some structure around it and be like, how long should everything take? Yeah. Um, yeah. Because yeah. it's such an interesting um, pr- um, sort of, pro- I don't know what you'd call it, like a proposition that you're putting forward or, a, you know, sort of a bit of a, what do you think? Um, mm. That idea that of, of the I and the personal essay, I think it's really interesting. Mm. Yeah, and I think that's, I, I don't know if it's because I read too many personal essays in my MA year, but I was just getting so tired of the I perspective. Um, and there were just like a couple of things that I read that year that weren't in the eye perspective and they really stood out to me and I was just like and also I think that they allowed for like different um like not what's the word like different not like yes it is a different perspective but I think that um it allowed them to tell the story in quite a different way and it felt really different to tell that story in a different way like it's yeah like the the mode of storytelling kind of like changes the impact and like I feel like the the I personal essay is almost always in past tense. So it's always like referential. Um, 
And I think that there's sort of this idea in personal essays where you it needs to like teach you something. And I think that once you remove the I past tense, it kind of becomes something else. Yeah. And that's really exciting as well. Yeah. yeah. Speaking of that, I've sort of really just got one more question that I wanted to ask and uh, probably mm. huge and um, also not very well formed. But in one of the things that I think you navigate really well in the essays are places that you haven't been. Do you know what I mean? Like places that have been told to you about like you know like mm. like where your um grandmother grew up and stuff like that and I'm just wondering how were you thinking around representing like people around you's story if you know what I mean like yeah the places that they've been and stuff like that yeah oh that's a hard one because it's yeah. um especially with my family um with my parents I'm like there is so much about your background and what's influenced you that I can't imagine um and I can like every time I sort of see them there is a glimmer of that like you grew up in a really different context to me um and especially at the time that they left China I think Mm -hmm. China was a very um different place and um no one expected China to be the sort of like economic powerhouse that it is now and like such like a dominant force um and like it's really interesting for me um when I hear my parents reflect on what their life was like back in China and then there's this other layer of like my grandparents who um grew up you know like in a different generation to that even but um just because they've had so little access to education um they are like the ultimate unreliable narrator because I don't think that they can really accurately describe what that was like and Mm. that's also really interesting because um I mean like yeah there's in the essay about my grandparents there's a passage where my grandma talks about her home back in China um and I sort of kind of put that as verbatim as I could remember it, but I just know that she would have misrepresented it. But what can you do? Yeah, because that's <laughs> what I think is so. This is what I freaking love about, and this is what I think makes this essay stand, essay collection stand out from a lot of others, is that, um, yeah, there is this handing over of the narrative. You know, ra- rather than, um, you know, where there might have been a temptation to, you know, often the the microphone is sort of handed to the person mm. and the person gets to express that you know what I mean and I just think it's handled really well it's such an amazing book thank you so much for writing it <laughs> thanks I just yeah I just so loved reading it again like um yeah it's just it's just so it's it's even better second time round I don't know why and and yeah the radio New Zealand um it's really good to listen to as well oh, good I'm you, glad. you did such a good job like, not the easiest thing in the world to do yeah I'm really glad that um I had a f- couple of sessions with Adam beforehand where he was just like I'm gonna coach you awesome. <laughs> and I was like please I need some help. <laughs> you're amazing you're amazing you are amazing I think that brings us to the end <laughs> thank you so much thank I you, really Pam. appreciate your time and it's just so lovely to talk to you As far as an exercise goes, um, sort of to respond to that conversation or to sort of, um, you know, cement some of those ideas in the conversation or perhaps you might want to use the exercise just as something fun to do. Um, I am, as you can tell from the conversation, very excited about this idea of um, 
the object as a way into um, setting and space and vista and world and all those sorts of things. So what I thought you could do is look around you now and pick up the first U-sized object you see and now write about the place you're in through that object. So you might like to start the sentence, I am in the object name. So if I look around, the first thing I see is a hole punch. So um, I might start the sentence, I am in the hole punch and see um, if, I, if it elicits anything interesting about this place that perhaps I um, have not noticed before. I was thinking that this exercise will work just as well with an imagined place um, to put an object into a character's um, hand or near their proximity might be interesting um, as a way into place. So yeah, thank you very much and um, yeah, we'll, um, we'll hear from you next time. Mm -hmm.